I am excited about this particular series. It was several months ago that the Lord confirmed uh, with me about preaching on this particular series here from Genesis chapters 1 through 11. I, as a preacher, as a Christian, I'm sure as you as well, have been concerned with what we have found out in our society. As I shared this morning about how the church is the pillar and the ground of truth, we're to, we're to really uphold the truth, we're to proclaim the truth, and this series is actually going to do that. Now, I want you to do this for me before I really get into the message and read the scripture here. I, I want you to pray for this series. I not only want you to pray for me as a preacher, as I prepare and as I share the word of God, but I want you to pray for us as a church. That first and foremost, that God will teach us through his word, that we'll be confident in what the word of God says. But number two, that God will give us protection through this. You know, I have found many, many times that as you preach on certain things and you start walking into the domain of the evil one's kingdom, it really makes him upset and it causes him to flare up. And I just would hasten to say this to you to, to keep your life right with God. Make sure that we as a church are unified together, that we're praying for one another, helping one another, because as we endeavor to deal with some of the subjects that we're going to deal with, I have no doubt in my mind that we'll find problems will arise. And so I ask you to pray that God would help us through this. Look with me, if you will, at Genesis chapter 1. I'm going to read just the first two verses. I will mainly focus just on verse number 1 tonight, but let me read these two verses here. Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Tonight I'd like to just answer this question, who is God? Who is God? Father, may you speak to us tonight. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather together, and we pray this all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. In December 1968, as Apollo 8 orbited the moon, there was the voice of Bill Anders that sounded back to earth with some of the most familiar words in the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You know, as Genesis 1 verse 1, as we read here, as it stands, it is a simple yet profound statement of fact. It is so profound a statement that it does not even give an explanation. It merely gives a fact. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. But I want you to notice, along with it being such a profound statement, it is a simple statement. In the beginning, God. How could you word things any simpler? In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. John Phillips, in his commentary on the book of Genesis, says, and I quote, the first chapter of Genesis is one of the most 
God-centered chapters in the Bible. Well, how so, you might ask. Well, you go through the 31 verses of Genesis chapter 1, and you find the name of God mentioned 32 times. Now, our series that we're going through is titled, In the Beginning. When the Jews named this book, Genesis here, they actually in the Hebrew had named it after the first word of the Hebrew text, which literally means in the beginning or as a title, the beginning. And really, this is where everything starts. And I believe that the reason that this series is so important is due to the fact that our society finds itself so very confused, lost, and truthfully, they're broken. And society, to answer some of the problems, begins to look within itself for its solutions, begins to look everywhere else other than the true source of fixing the problems, and that is to look into God. But our world is so focused on everything else that they've truly lost sight of God. But could I submit to you tonight that God's answers or God's answer has always been to go back to the beginning. Do you recall in the book of Matthew chapter 19 when Jesus was pressed about the issue of divorce? Jesus was asked by some of the Pharisees, and in fact, these Pharisees had debated amongst themselves about marriage and divorce. There were two schools of thought. There was one very conservative thought, that is, that you could not divorce at all, and therefore there was that certain group. But then there was a very liberal group that said you could divorce for any reason and remarry for any reason. And so there was a constant battle between these two schools of thought. But how interesting it is that when Jesus was given this question by the Pharisees who intended to trip him up, he actually said to them in verse 4 of Matthew 19, Have you not read? It's almost like a slap in the face. Pew. Have you not read the Scriptures? That he which made them at the beginning. And then he said a few verses later, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. What was Jesus stating? He got a question, and they anticipated for Jesus to answer according to what was going on at that moment. But Jesus said, you're really confused. You're lost in all this. Let me take you to back to what God intended in the very beginning. And that's what we're going to do with this issue and, and these issues that are given to us. And truthfully, here's some of the issues that we're going to face that we're going to go back to the beginning. Creation versus evolution. The value of human life. Gender identity. The value of women. How do we properly care for this world that we live in? the importance of and definition of marriage. We're going to answer the question of why do we live in a broken world and how do we fix it? We're going to look at the root of conflict in our world. We're going to talk about race issues. And truthfully, as I begin to put those out there, you can say, oh yeah, there's problems out in our society with that, and there's problems there, and there's problems there. But guess what? Genesis 1 through 11 answers every one of those things. 
And the most valuable truth that I want you to catch tonight and why I'm jumping off with this question, this sermon tonight of who is God, is because everything begins with God. If you discount God, you'll never find the answer. If you push God aside, if you take him out of the equation, then you'll never come back to finding the real solution for the problem. So let's jump into this message tonight very briefly and see who God is. Three things I want to give to you from verse number one that I want you to see. Number one here is the centrality of God. The centrality of God. Within the first four words, we see that it is all about God and that this God that is shown to us is an eternal God. Now, how amazing that the Old Testament here, the book of Genesis, begins with this mind-blowing declaration, in the beginning, God. Now, Moses, the human author, actually says nothing of God's origin because there's nothing to say. God has no origin. He's always been. There's never been a time when God was not. And you say, preacher, come on, why is this such a big deal? Because I want you to recognize that God owes his existence to no one. God owes his existence to nothing. Moses knew all this well. You remember when Moses was first introduced to God? Remember when Moses had left Egypt and he had come into the land of Midian? And one day he sees his bushes burning, but it's not consumed. It continues to burn, and finally, there's a voice that comes out, and it's God who introduces himself as the I am that I am, the eternal, ever-existing God. And from that point, Moses is very aware of the God that he serves, the God of the Hebrews that he's going to lead out of Egypt is the very God who is eternal. So the God is the only one who is divine, eternal, supreme, and stands above everything else. Now, anybody who's ever studied about the origin of things believes this, that there never was a time when there was nothing or no one. You see, to people who study origins, something has to be eternal, whether they believe it is some mass some energy or a person, but there cannot be anything. The Bible assumes that that eternal, it's not some mass that had a big bang, but that eternal is God. It's a person, the triune God. In fact, Jesus Christ later in in his prayer in John 17, remember that high priestly prayer? I'm going to reference it a couple of times tonight. He affirmed the reality of the existence of God from eternity past. Here's what he prayed. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. What was Jesus saying in his prayer? God, my Father, you've always existed. Psalm chapter 90, verse 2, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Now, maybe you're here tonight and you say, Well, preacher, I I get the Bible, but what about science? What about science? 
What does science have to say about how things began? Can I say to you tonight, science knows nothing when it comes to the origin of things. Science will tell you how things will continue. Science will tell you about the various laws that govern our world, but they'll never tell you how things started. You say, well, then if if I can't take science, then how do I explain all of this? You don't. That's where faith comes in. Is that not the Christian life? Did you not come into salvation by faith? Let me ask you a question. Were you there when Jesus died on the cross? No, you're accepting the fact that there was a Messiah who came and who died for you. You're accepting the fact that there is a Christ who is alive and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. It's all by faith. And so therefore, when we come to Genesis 1-1, we have been in our society so focused on science and what science has to say and how science has to explain everything. But I'm here to tell you that science cannot explain the origin of things. Science can only tell you how things continue. And therefore, when we come to Genesis 1-1, a very simple but profound statement that in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, then we have to come back to the fact, God has always been. And by faith, I accept that. Now, let's define this idea of God being eternal. Let's try to put it in a very simple and concise way. Here's how I define the eternity of God. It is this. It is the fact that God has never had a beginning and he has no end. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing. God's never had a beginning. And, And for us who are finite beings, it's hard for us to fathom that. The fact that there's never been a time when God hasn't been, and there'll never be a time when God will ever cease to exist. Now, how do we apply this doctrinal truth of the eternality of God? Well, let me give you a few verses, and then I'll share something with you. Deuteronomy 33, 27, the eternal God is thy refuge. Romans 1, 20, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power. Ephesians 3.11, according to the eternal purpose, which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 15 and 16 speaks of his eternal power and rule when the Bible says, which in his times he shall show, who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who only hath immortality. This means that God has always been And things on this earth are not just random and by chance. The fact that God is eternal means that you and I have purpose in this life. You see, what the world's going to tell you by the fact of, well, God didn't create all these things and these things just happen, then where does it leave us? It leaves us as some random chance, some some thing that's just here, and we don't know where we're coming or where we're going. But I'm here to tell you there's an eternal God who created you, and he's given you purpose in this life. It means that there is a God who is in control. And to top it all off, when God promises eternal life to you and me, he really means it because he's eternal. 
how beautiful it is to see this centrality of God to show us that he's eternal. He's always been. He always will be. Number two, the creator God. Who is God? He's central to everything, eternal. Number two, he's creator. God's not only the eternal, but he's the creator. Now, some people are perplexed here by the word in verse number one of heavens. They say, what does it mean when the Bible says that God created the heaven and the earth? Does it mean that heaven, that he created a place where he lives? Does it mean that he created the heaven as in the stars in the sky and all the galaxies out there in the universe? Does it mean that he created the sky around us, the atmosphere that envelops the earth? And the answer is yes. God's created all that. All of that is the heavens. In other words, to answer it maybe another way, let's give you, let me give you another verse. Isaiah chapter 44, verse 24. I am the Lord that maketh all things, that stretcheth forth the heavens alone, that spreadeth abroad the earth by myself. Now, the Hebrew really has no word in the scriptures here for universe. And so when the Bible says that God created the heaven and the earth, it is referencing all things. When we reference here the universe and everything that we starting are to be able to see it is amazing what God has done. Now, let's talk about this word created. In the beginning, God created. The Hebrew word that is given here means to create out of nothing. Now, we often use the word create, but it's not the same way as Genesis 1-1 is referring. People often, you'll hear people say, hey, I created a song. Wonderful. Or maybe a person that uh, uh, designs uh, landscaping, uh, he's, he's created a particular landscape design. Or maybe somebody has created a product. But may I say to you that every person in this world that has created something has used some things to bring that into being. For instance, at Christmas time this year, we have somebody in our church who is a beautiful painter, and they gave my wife and I a beautiful painting. I marveled at the creation of this person. But do you realize when this person gave us and actually began to create, if you will, this particular gift, that they took paint that had already been made up? a brush that somebody had already put together, canvas that somebody had made. And therefore, though we might say that this painting was a beautiful creation, it is not creation in the same way God created. When God spoke this world into existence, there was nothing that he pulled together. He said, oh, let me grab this and let me grab this. No, there was nothing else but God, and God spoke the world into existence. That's the word create. And the fact that God created all things is very important for you to understand for several reasons. First of all, let me just give, and these are not on the screen, but I, I want to give these to you. It means that God is before creation. Now, we already talked about in the, in the first point, Psalm 92, before the mountains were brought forth, from everlasting and everlasting, now our God. Our God's an eternal God. He's prior to creation. But the second thing to understand about God creating is God is independent of his creation. 
The fact that God created all things means that the universe is not an extension of God, but rather a creation of God. You see the difference? Therefore, here's why that's important. You and I are not to worship the creation, worship the universe, worship everything that we see. Who are we to worship? The creator. And you look at Romans chapter 1, Here's the problem in our society. They're worshiping everything that's God created. They're worshiping man. They're worshiping and deifying everything of this world. You go into uh, various places around the world where they're worshiping the sun and the moon and the stars and all sorts of things. My friend, God didn't create all those things for you to worship them. He wants you to worship him and him alone. He is the creator. This means that any kind of idol worship, sun worship, worship of any created object or being is wrong. And I'm here to tell you that there's a particular philosophy, you might call it a religion, that teaches that God is a part of his creation. I want to tell you something, God is not a part of his creation. This is what we call pantheism. You look at certain... Uh, Eastern religions like Hinduism and Buddhism, they believe in pantheism or uh, things like uh, certain cults like the Unity Church or Christian science, they believe in pantheism. And what does that teach? It teaches here that God is in all and all is in God. Now, please don't mix this up with the fact that God is omnipresent. God is everywhere. I believe, very, very real, that God, as I spoke even about this morning, that God is here with us. And while we're meeting, if there happens to be another church that is meeting at this particular time, guess what? God may be meeting with them as well. God is everywhere, but don't confuse it with the fact that God is in everything. It's not what the Bible teaches. God created all things, and he's separate, independent of his creation. But third thing that is important to note about God creating is God is over all his creation. He's in charge. You see, the God who created is the God who sustains it. God didn't create everything and just say, well, I hope hope it all figures itself out. No, God created everything, and God is sustaining all things. Nehemiah prayed to God, Thou even thou art Lord alone. Thou hast made the heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their host and everything, and thou preservest them all. Isaiah 45, 18, For thus, thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it. He's established it. He created it not in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. Acts 17, 24, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. So I'm here to tell you, God has created all things. He is Lord over all creation. So, number one, the centrality of God, God's eternal. Number two, God's created all things. He's created out of nothing. But now, who is God? I want you to notice the characteristic of God. Number three, the characteristic of God. Now, you may look at verse number one and say that it's kind of difficult to define God. I mean, it just says the title, the name God. So how in the world can we assign a quality when that's all it says? It's just in the beginning, God. Well, that's the problem with sometimes just reading things on the surface. Could I stop for just a moment and encourage you to not be a surface reader of the Bible? 
Now look, if I get you into the Word of God and that's what you become, all right. But the Bible talks about being a student of the book and begin to compare Scripture with Scripture and begin to learn certain things and, and begin to pull things apart and look at it and study it out. So when the Bible talks here in verse number 1 about God created in the heaven and the earth, if you begin to become a diligent student of the Word of God, you are going to learn that there is a characteristic about God that is seen in this. And when I show this to you tonight, you're going to step away, and every time you read this, you're going to say, that's how God's revealed Himself. And the characteristic that I want you to see here tonight is that God is a trinity. God's a trinity. Now, I understand we have people that like to mock the Trinity, and they say, well, I don't believe in the Trinity. That's a man-made kind of, kind of doctrinal statement because the word Trinity is not used in the Bible. Well, you know, there's a few other things that are not used as far as a particular word in the Bible, but it is seen clearly in Scripture. And you go from Genesis to Revelation, and you see the Trinity is very clearly seen. But let's define this here first of all, in these two verses, and then explain what I'm talking about. What is the Trinity? Well, it is a doctrinal concept, very simply, that states this, that the one God exists in three persons. Now, we're not talking three gods. We're not talking about a three-headed God. We're talking about a God who is one, Deuteronomy 6, verse number 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, but He's manifested Himself in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Each member of the Trinity is coexistent and co-eternal. Now, here's what I want you to see about the Trinity in these first couple of verses. First of all, all three of them are seen in the first three verses. Now, the first one's easy to know, God the Father. In the beginning, God. Now, if we were to assign creation to any member of the Trinity, who would we assign it to? God the Father. And we look at verse number one, but I want you to notice verse number two. Notice the Bible says here, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and who's next mentioned? And the Spirit of God. Notice here in the King James Bible, capital S, the Holy Spirit. What did He do? The Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to explain verse number 2 next week, and we'll talk about that more in, in our subject of creation versus evolution. But I want you to know that the idea is that the Spirit of God hovered, if you will, over the earth that had been made. And the Holy Spirit, according to Psalm, I believe, chapter 34, verse number 30, or one of those passages in the Psalms, references the fact that the, the, the earth was created by the Spirit of God. Every member of the Trinity is involved in creation. But you say, all right, preacher, I don't see where Jesus is. I want you to look at verse 3. Look at the first three words. God, what's next? Would you say those three words with me? And God, say it one more time. And God said. Who's Jesus revealed to us in the New Testament as? One of the titles? The Word. In the beginning, listen to this. In the beginning was the Interesting. 
That word spoke our creation into existence. The phrase is repeated here that God said. It's repeated in the sixth day of creation with two occurrences of the phrase on days three and and six. And the point to me is very clear that God creates through His Word. Christians who read the Old Testament in light of the New Testament know the identity of the creating Word of God in Genesis 1 because the Apostle John declares to us, in the beginning was the Word. And who was that Word? John 1.14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So the Word of God in Genesis 1 is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So first off, when I look at this, I look at these first three verses and I see, all right, there's God the Father, there's God the Holy Spirit, God the Son. But second thing I want you to notice here by the Trinity is the word that is used for God in verse number one gives us an indication of plurality. The word given for God is the name Elohim, E-L-O-H-I-M. Now, sometimes in the scriptures, you'll see this and in various uh, other secular writings referring to a God, it'll be the term El is given. That's the very root of the name of God, El. So you say, well, what does Elohim mean? Well, this gives the sense of the plurality of God. In other words, let me give you a word. In the Bible, we find a word of a particular group of angels known as a cherub. But you'll also read cherubim, won't you? What is cherubim? That's multiple angels, a plurality of angels. We're going to look through later on in Genesis chapter 1. We're going to see how the Bible talks about that God said, let us make man in our image. Who was God speaking to? I believe it was he's speaking to the Son. He was speaking to the Holy Spirit. And so here it is, this word that is given to us. Yes, God is one, Deuteronomy 6, 4, but he's manifested himself in three persons. And here we see this word given for God the plural word. But a third thing I want you to see is something very, very interesting. Because the structure of verse number one shows to us the Trinity. Before I show this to you, have you ever heard somebody try to illustrate the, or give an analogy of the Trinity? I mean, I've heard, I've heard a lot of them. I've used them myself. People have said, well, you know, kind of an, an egg, you know, kind of, you know, there's the shell and there's the white and the yellow of the egg, but I, that falls short. Then some have said, well, you know, H2O, there's different states of H2O. There's a, there's a liquid, there's a gas, there's a solid. But again, all that seems to fall short because all three of those states of H2O cannot exist at the same time in the same place. And when you speak about the Trinity, you're speaking about coexistent, co-eternal, God himself manifests in the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. But I believe in verse number one, we have something tucked away within the framework of what we call the universe. God created the heaven and the earth. The word universe, again, though it's not used here in the Hebrew, but the word universe, una, means one. And in verse number one, there are three parts that are given to us in this universe. And I want you to notice, look at verse number one. As I read this, I'm going to show you this. Look, first of all, the first three words, in the beginning. 
I want you to note here, time. Notice God created, what did he create? The heaven, that space. Number three, he created the earth, that's matter. Notice the Trinity right in this verse. Time, space, and matter. And truthfully, if you look at time, space, and matter, if you take away any of these at all, you have no universe. But here's something to notice even further, and that is there's a trinity within each of these. In other words, a trinity of trinities. Look here, if you will, at the idea of time in the beginning. How do we measure time? Past? Help me. Present, future, the Trinity. Notice here, if you will, in the beginning, God created the heaven, the idea of space here. What is space made up of? Length, width, and height. Take any of those away, and you don't have space. But notice here, God created the earth, matter, solid, liquid, gas. Each one of those represent matter. So within the time, space, matter continuum, take any of those away and you have no universe. Take any of those parts away from any of those individual things and you have no time, space, or matter. Now, you say, preacher, what does that have to do with anything? All right, so God's a trinity. How does that apply for me? Well, For starters, it means that God desires to have a relationship with you. Think about this. Think with me for just a moment of all the characteristics of God. Now, I know we're talking about the Trinity, but one thing that surely defines God is that the Bible says in 1 John 4, 8, that God is love. Now, there's not many characteristics where it says God is this, but I want to show you that of one of them is the fact that God is love. Now, if the Bible says that God is love, that means it's been a part of him for as long as God has been God. And how long has God been God? Forever. So you've got to ask yourself a question, all right? If God was a God of love before he created the heaven and the earth, who did he love? And did he love himself? No, no. God the Father loved the Son. God the Father and God the Son loved the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit loved the Son and the Father. And there was a wonderful love. And when God created us... God wanted to demonstrate that love to us. I want to tell you something. God desires a relationship with you. Oh, think with me. Let me, let me turn in here for just a moment. In fact, go with me, if you will. Hold your place here. Go to the book of John for just a minute. and Let me read this. John chapter number 17. Remember that high priestly prayer I said I was going to reference a couple times? Notice John chapter 17, the last three verses. I love this. It just is so beautiful when you start putting things together. But look at verse 24, John 17. Father, now again, the Lord is praying here. 
this high priestly prayer to his father while he's on earth. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me. Now look at the next phrase. For thou lovest me, how long? Before the foundation of the world. Interesting. Verse 25, O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me. And I declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. So you say, oh, come on, the, the Trinity doctrine, that's just some dry thing that these people sitting in uh, university classrooms and seminaries just kind of study out. No, 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 no. I want to tell you something. Right from the get-go, God is revealing to us that he's a Trinity, and he wants you to know that he created you because he wants a relationship with you. That changes the whole dynamic of looking at everything in this world. That everybody's trying to find the answers for, well, how do we fix this problem? Let's look to this uh, issue, and let's look to this, and let's look. And they're looking at the world when they must look up at God who has loved, the Trinity has loved one another from the beginning, and that love is for its creation. How beautiful. But second, I see this about the Trinity as we find our satisfaction in Him. Think about this. God didn't say one day, you know, I'm a little bored by myself. I'm lonely. I think I'll just kind of create some slaves that can kind of do some things for me on this earth. That's not what God said. We don't see that. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were perfectly unified in loving, serving, and glorifying one another. And so what did God do out of His love? He created us in inviting us to enjoy Him and find fulfillment in God the Trinity. How beautiful. Now, as I close this tonight, as I come back to verse number 1, I find just three simple things about verse number 1 that are, are, are just, to me, they're, they're, they're the thoughts that come to my mind. Number 1, Genesis 1.1 is simple. It's simple. There's no attempt at some big elaborate analysis or exposition. I mean, Genesis 1-1, we can teach to our children very easily. In fact, some of the first verses that children learn are in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. This verse is very direct, it's positive, it's complete. And I don't think it could have been any simpler made. But second word that comes to my mind is not just simple, but incredible. You see, I say simple on one end, but then I look at it and I say, wow, how incredible to think about it. Now, I, I've done the best I could to try to explain this verse, but I'll be honest with you, I feel inadequate. I, I feel empty to try to share with you what this verse says. You say, well, preacher, you just said it was simple. I mean, it ought to be simple. <laughs> try preaching. You come on up here and do this. Honestly. Think about this verse, how incredible. The fact that God would connect the spiritual and the material together. The fact that in every atom, if you will, there's a story within itself. Powerful things that God has done. The wind, the very breath of God, the thunder sounds forth the music of God speaking 
to us. But the third word I come up with is simple and incredible, but I, it's adequate, sufficient. You know what? I, after studying this, I walk away and I say, you know what, Lord, I take it by faith. I, I can't explain it. I've looked at science. You've looked at science. We've tried to figure things out. But you know what? By faith, it's adequate for me to accept the fact that in the beginning, you created the heaven and the earth. Amen. End of story. End of story. So how can you and I apply this to our life? Well, your life began through him. Your life only makes sense with him. And your life is sustained by him. Don't try to live separate from God. Don't try to go ahead and figure this world out without pulling God into the equation. Because Moses, in the simplest way he could, without giving any explanation, without bringing anything else into it, just simply brought this forth and said, In the beginning, God. And as everything else spells out, all the answers for life, all the answers for everything of me come back to God. And how beautiful it is to realize that God revealed himself in this way, and he loved us to give us the salvation that you and I today who are believers enjoy. It was in the 1800s when Christian missions was hardly a thing in the country of Japan. In fact, Japan at this time was very close to things of the gospel. There, was not, there were not Bibles that you could find all over the place. But there in the early, about mid-1800s, there was a young man that was there, part of a good family, that had found a book on geography. The book opened up with these words, in the beginning... God created the heaven and the earth. Now, this young man that found this book and began reading it thought to himself, what could this mean? Who was this God? Certainly, we don't know him in Japan. Maybe he lives in America, and therefore, I'm going to try to go to America to try to find out who this God is. And so, this young man began to try to search for any means and method he could get to Japan. At that time, again, it was something that would be looked at as a no-no for people to travel out of the country like that. And so this young man was able to get to China at that time and then was able to get to America. And while he was there, he met some people who began to share with him about this God and about Jesus Christ. And it was in America that he came to faith in Jesus Christ. This young man was named Joseph Nesemia. He went back to his homeland, and it was there that God began preparing his family and people that were in his home, and God, and God used this young man to give the gospel to his family and to many others, and they trusted Christ, and he was able to start a university teaching Christian principles. And how powerful to know that it all began with reading of this one verse that sparked his attention. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now, I must say to you, that verse alone doesn't save somebody because it doesn't tell me about sin, doesn't tell me about Jesus. And many times people will say, well, how do people get saved? 
I want to tell you something. When they begin to look up and realize that all of this has come and has to have come from someone, that's God, it causes them to search for Jesus. And may God help us as believers to find our satisfaction in Him. And may God use us to share with people the wonderful God that we serve and that He truly has all the answers for this life.